Hello, everyone. Welcome to Healing the Nations podcast. I'm your host, Peter Chung. And today we have a special guest, uh, Pastor Lemuel Saipin. Saipin, yes, sir. And Pastor, thank you so much for joining our podcast. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about your ministry and what you do? Uh, yes, sir. Um, I currently serve as uh, one of the elders in our local church, which is Fort Worth Northwest Seventh-day Adventist Church. Um, I currently serve as uh, elder, also Pathfinder Director and Effective Youth Minister of, of that church there. I also am studying um, in the ministry uh, at IAS, um, our seminary there in the uh, southeast. Uh, IAS stands for um, Adventist International Institute for Advanced Studies, and it's in the Philippines, and uh, where originally my ancestry is from. Uh, I was born and raised here in Texas, and that's where I've been doing my ministry uh, since. Now, we've gotten to know each other through social media. Yeah. Um, through various um, projects and various uh, administrative duties in certain Facebook groups. And also we've uh, connected because we have a similar passion to religious liberty. Yes. Now, how did you develop a passion for religious liberty? Uh, well, for starters, uh, it, was a, it was a love for studying prophecy. Um, and actually, my interest in prophecy started in my younger years my parents would bring me to revelation seminars and uh, um, Daniel and revelation studies uh, and uh, and understanding how history um, goes as it goes you see God's handiwork or get God's um, hand in history uh, especially when reading the books of Daniel and Re revelation we as Seventh-day Adventists we know uh, certain events in history are being led by the hand of God. So uh, m my passion in that also evolved into um, a passion for history. Uh, and uh, I, I earned a Bachelor of Arts in History in the University of North Texas, which is not exactly a Seventh-day Adventist institution. Uh, it's, um, but I learned many things there. Um, and uh, growing up in the Lord has been an absolute pleasure to uh, to myself and rearing up a family as well. I try to uh, uh, give, try to pass on that passion to my children as well. So that's how uh, my passion for religious liberty started. Now, what are some religious liberty issues that you see today, both within the church and also in the world? A uh, big thing first of all is in the United States as we understand uh, the US and prophecy is the second beast uh, the, is the beast that follows after um, uh, the main beast that we know of in Revelation which is the papacy um, America has um, many blessings from being a nation of freedom and of liberty uh, one that speaks as a lamb, uh, but later on speaks as a dragon. Uh, so we anticipate a time when these liberties will be taken from us uh, in this country, and the whole world will follow um, right behind. It's not far behind. The United States is clearly the world's primal superpower, especially after the collapse of communism. Um, you will not find another nation on earth that uh, that holds um, the to the influence of the United States anywhere. So, so that's where it's headed into, I believe. 
There's been calls within the Seventh Adventist Church, and we've run into individuals, both you and I, that call for the Seventh day Adventist Church to openly support political parties. How do you feel about that? Well, for one thing, we are advised in inspiration to avoid that. Um, partisanship, especially political partisanship, uh, should be avoided um, because of the issues it causes in the church. Um, you'll have people taking one side or the other and only view the world in a particular lens through the lens of their political party or political bias. And that's a, that's a problem. We are called, we have a special calling to rise above that. And it doesn't mean, personally, I don't think it means that we shouldn't have any political, you know, uh, political uh, preferences or political, um, uh, or, uh, political opinions. It just means that uh, above that, we have God's calling for us. Uh, and we need to rise up above petty political squabbles to fulfill that calling. And now, these uh, individuals within the church that call for us to be aligned with political parties, particularly more conservative political parties, or the conservative party within the United States, which is the Republican Party, obviously, mm -hmm. uh, the premise behind the call to support these political parties or the Republican Party is because of issues such as LGBT issues or that of abortion. Right. How do you think the church should be active in causes? Should they be active in these causes like evangelical Christians? Uh, there should be a particular type of involvement that doesn't involve the ways of the world. Uh, what I mean by that is we are called to call out sin by its right name, obviously, and to decry the growing immorality and the uh, um, darkness and evil that's growing the land. But it's not solved by laws and more laws, um, civil laws, that is. Um, it is solved by the implanting of the Holy Spirit in, in the hearts of uh, people like you and I. And I think that's where many of our, and I would, I would even say well-intentioned members of the church, they see issues like abortion, they see issues like homosexuality being more accepted in the culture, and uh, they are, you know, justifiably riled up. And, and uh, I would be among those uh, that, that would have concerns for this growing um, concerns in culture the immoral culture and uh, but also I see a danger in the opposite extreme and trying to quash people's consciences and instead of bringing the light of the gospel through a knowledge of Christ and uh, through the work of the Holy Spirit instead we are creating more laws to try and curb this behavior uh, and this is especially what uh, prophecy is warning us against uh, not because these issues are to be ignored not because these concerns are unfounded but because God is looking for people that serves him through free will through free will love through uh, through the heart and not by mere outward display and uh, this is where many of our um, well-intentioned politicians have lost their way and many of our church activists as well 
Now, it doesn't just go uh, one way. Uh, I know also some liberal-leaning uh, uh, activists who uh, would use the Bible to kind of say, you know, welfare for all, that sort of thing. But uh, to be honest, those are kind of very few <laughs> that I've seen personally. Uh, maybe it's because I'm, I was born and raised in the Bible Belt. I haven't <laughs> expanded my vision to other parts of, of the country. But usually, most of the times when this liberal left-wing uh, perspective comes out, it's not usually amongst the religiously fanatical or conservative. It's amongst those who uh, tend towards um, uh, liberating oneself or, uh, or other... Uh, non-religious viewpoints as well that come out. So I think for the most part, the problem of this, we consider church and state union that we know is to come. Uh, I don't see it coming necessarily from the left, although the left could have a part in, in playing into it uh, by riling up the right. But the right-wing conservatives have a tendency of wanting to enforce dogmas and religious observances. And that's just my observance through history. Um, I and uh, I, I talk from the perspective of one who's been looking at it both ways. There was a time point in my life where I did feel that uh, legislation was uh, needed to enforce these doctrines, by the way. Can you share with me how your uh, perspective changed on that issue? Yeah. Um, first, of course, as, as a Christian growing up, I did feel that people had to see it my way. Um, and... Uh, in the late 90s, early 2000s, I was uh, involved in a lot of um, online forums, um, religious uh, forums, where people from all sorts of perspectives debated out. And I, ha I tried to stand in there in, in the fray as the foremost defender of Christianity uh, and then decrying all these um, immoral uh, things that other people were doing. It didn't seem to change anyone's viewpoint one bit. And I noticed that the more laws that were becoming in place to try and um, uh, limit these, uh, the actions of these people who do immoral things, uh, then the more hardened they become. Uh, and that's not to say that we shouldn't have laws to keep men from murder, of course, or from stealing. Those are basic laws to keep order in society and as we understand it it keeps men at peace with each other but when it comes to things that things of the conscience for example when when people believe that they don't have to do dress a certain way or that they don't have to speak a certain way um those are things of of the mind they're not committing any physical crimes against another person they're not stealing they're not um trying to harm. As Thomas Jefferson once said, uh, it makes no difference to me whether one believes in one God or 20. Uh, it doesn't, what is it that he said? It doesn't, it doesn't um, break my leg or pick my pocket. Uh, so that, that's a basic religious liberty, uh, freedom of conscience standpoint uh, for this country that we live in. And uh, we enjoy these liberties because no one will get on us for believing that the seventh day is a Sabbath, for example. No one can uh, incarcerate us because um, we believe that uh, you know people don't go to heaven right after they die, right? Uh, and that's the freedom that we enjoy. 
But the moment that I go out and I physically steal from someone or physically kick them in, in the stomach or, or punch them in the face, of course, I violate their basic right as a human to be free of, those, of, uh, of malice, uh, physical malice. But when it comes to the crimes of the mind, uh, there shouldn't be any laws to uh, condemn someone. Civil laws, that is. Now, I want to ask you a historical question. Now, the Seventh-day Adventist Church in the 19th century was active in temperance reform. Right. How do we distinguish the Adventist Church's involvement in temperance reform with the calls today for to abortion right. and mm-hmm. LGBT-type issues? Uh, what is the distinction between the two, or, okay. the, or the issues between the two issues? Um, historically speaking, temperance, especially in the 19th century, was a big issue, mainly because, and even to today, liquor caused great grief. Um, and not just, uh, not just crimes of the conscience, but also physical crimes, civil crimes that people committed. And you, you talk about substance abuse and these things such as the marijuana issue, uh, things that alter the mind, make people make decisions that they wouldn't ordinarily do if they were sober, for example. Uh, and that is one that I believe is appropriate for a civil government to regulate simply because um, of the harm, physical harm that it causes. And you, you have just numerous, countless examples. You just open the newspaper or go online. You'll read examples of drunk drivers k- killing people because of their, they are inebriate, and, um, which could be avoided if we eliminated alcohol altogether or cons- the consumption of alcohol. Now, I know there's some civil libertarians that disagree with that, uh, but we've seen that in history. I mean, it's not something that uh, is anecdotal. It's something that has been proven time and time again. When someone is not in their right mind, they do things that harm others. Um, if it was a case, they'll take a drink and all of a sudden they, they can compose um, a sonata when previously they haven't been able to. That's not the kind of effect that alcohol has on a person. It's always degenerate. It always uh, harms not just the person who consumes the alcohol, but everyone around him. Um, so that I would consider a part of civil legislation that is appropriate for Seventh-day Adventists to, um, to call for. Uh, now, some would say, well, what about homosexuality? Doesn't that cause harm? But I don't think it's anyone's business to go and... Uh, go barging into rooms and find out if so-and-so is having a relationship with someone of the same gender, that sort of thing. That's not the role of civil government. Now, they are not harming anyone by merely indulging in an act that, that is consensual with one another. Now, if it involves children, and obviously that's when government should step in because they cannot provide, they cannot give consent when it's with people of consensual age. But civil government, it, it's just too hard. For one thing, it's, it, it's just hard for them to regulate that. That would involve a, a mass surveillance program of, um, 
who knows how much that would cost, how much it would take to implement. Uh, before, back in, in the time where all this technology was available, um, you know, people would work on word of mouth, okay, with uh, um, hearsay. And a lot of times people were condemned by, by, the, uh, by the witness of one or two people. And uh, by today's standards, there's, it is more convenient to catch people committing a particular crime. But I don't think that's something that has to be regulated by the government, mainly because um, not everybody believes the same way we do, for one thing. Not everybody believes that God created man and woman. If we want people to believe that homosexuality is wrong, that's the first thing we need to establish that we have a creator God who made male and female. The only appropriate sexual relationship should be between those two is a matter of conscience. There are those that are atheists. There are um, people of who don't believe in Christianity who do not believe that God created male and female. If they were to, um, we were to force them to believe that way, that would be a matter of conscience. At least that's how I see it. Um, if they're not forcing their homosexual acts on others, then I don't see why it's anyone's business. Do you think that evangelicals and even conservative Adventists focus too much on the immoral acts of homosexuals and neglect the immoral acts of heterosexuals? Is it a little one-sided? Oh, yeah, yeah th that's certainly another issue there. Um, certainly be because... Uh, any act that is perverse to God should be converted, could, should be condemned by those who want to call out sin by its right name. And I think we've neglected that. Uh, for Seventh-day Adventists who calls out homosexuality should go and call out against adultery, against fornication. And uh, yeah, there, there are those who, who have been consistent um, throughout, but there is a heavy, heavy emphasis on homosexuality. I think that is be also because of a countercultural reaction. Um, but we are called to be consistent uh, throughout. Uh, if, if we support legislation to, um, to prohibit homosexuality, we should also prohibit adultery. We should also prohibit fornication through law. And that is an entire complication because not everyone believes the same way we do. They may in their religion believe that fornication is okay. They may not have any religion believe that homosexuality is okay. Uh, and so in that case, it becomes very complicated whenever we enforce our view of morality uh, upon others who don't believe the same way we do, we trample upon their conscience. And um, just to point out, many of those that are vehemently against uh, homosexuals quote Romans chapter 1 and it's interesting in Romans chapter 1 there are very very strong warnings against heterosexual sins as well uh, right. even more so in many ways oh absolutely and so yeah. it's unfortunate that as Christians we focus so much on a sin of another yet we have so many sins within ourselves absolutely and I think that is what um, the Bible says when we cry aloud and spare not. We cry for the sins of our people. There are many sins out there. There's just too much to to count 
for the world at large. But our work is to bring them to the knowledge of God first. Because without faith, it is impossible to please God. Someone who, for example, has grown up in, um, in a non-Christian home, such as an atheist or agnostic, and they become involved in um, homosexual activism, trying to promote it and things like that. When you come with them and say that, uh, well, homosexuality is a sin, they will laugh to your face. If the law especially tries to say that um, homosexuality is prohibited, then they'll also laugh in the face of the law because they do not believe in the lawgiver. Oh. So our primary work is to bring people to the realization or to the knowledge of God to, to come at the foot of the cross of Jesus and say, okay, to realize in their heart that these are sins. These are perverse sins. These are ab an abomination to God. Before any law can be kept by any person, they need to acknowledge a lawgiver. And uh, th that is the thing I think we as Christians, we miss out on, especially a lot of evangelicals. Uh, they, um, and let's just be straight and honest about it. Um, Calvinists uh, in the evangelical world, they believe that men are born a certain way, okay? that they're bo helplessly born to sin, uh, and uh, they can't help but sin. So the only way to curb... Uh, these evils is to enact strict civil laws to at least keep them civil. Uh, yeah. You know, um, but this doesn't convert a single soul. Those who commit these immoral acts, they don't acknowledge a lawgiver. They may, on the surface, uh, be obedient because they're f afraid of any consequence, civil consequences because of it. But deep down inside. They're utterly rebellious. They're utterly being contempt of these laws. And that's not the kind of society that God wants Christians to build. He wants a society, a Christian, a people that obey him through free will, not by any force or coercion. And I want to go back, Peter, uh, real quick to that issue of abortion, lest anyone uh, accuse me of trying to avoid it real quick. I do personally believe that abortion is a um, an act, a physical act against another, uh, not necessarily uh, one of conscience. So I do believe that there there's cause for us to be concerned, but then also we forget that the root cause of of abortions is people necessarily want to commit murder, because they want to cover up another immoral act, which is maybe fornication. Uh, I mean, no family in their right mind would use uh, abortions as a legitimate way of, of family planning. It is mostly out of, for example, an illicit relationship. And then they want to cover up their tracks and they weren't able to afford, um, you know, proper uh, birth control. Um, so if you hit at the root of the cause of that, if you teach society that life is... Uh, precious from inception of life, then we get the, at the root cause of the problem. And also if we teach that sexual immoralities is um, detriment to society, not as a spiritual wrong per se, because some people don't share our perspective, but because it causes problems financially, it causes um, problems relationally. Uh, 
And I think also what needs to be addressed before any civil law can be worked to prohibit abortion is we need to establish that life is begins at conception. But not everybody agrees with us in that way. Of course, we as Christians, we can believe that the Bible teaches us that God had formed us in the womb of our mothers. Uh, but not everybody believes that same way. And the question is, how do we solve that problem? We teach them about God. We teach them about the life giver. If you want the same thing with the law, if you want people to have respect for the law, have them know about the lawgiver. You want people to have respect for life, let them know. Teach them about the life giver. And that's how you can solve the root of the problem. Not by, by building arbitrary laws that we think can curb a particular uh, problem, but in the end, just only serves to, only serves to curb it just a little bit. You, you want to hit at the root of the problem. You know, those are some very strong and very uh, profound points. I just want to bring out or amplify some of the points that you made. Uh, I could think of an abortion issue, um, the woman caught in adultery, right. where Jesus offered forgiveness and mercy, and then he made the admonishment, go and sin no more. Exactly. And so that by itself covers a list of relationships by the love and justice and the mercy of God. The oh, other absolutely. example of one of uh, the issue of homosexuality, uh, those that are Christian and evangelical mainly uh, focus on Sodom. Right. And we look at Sodom and Abraham, we know in the Bible, is the father of faith. And how Abraham dealt with the city of Sodom is very interesting for Abraham liberated the city of Sodom. Right. And he returned most of the financial and resources and every possession of the city of Sodom, knowing what Sodom does. And so the people of Sodom saw the mercy of God through Abraham. And not only that, when Sodom was sought to be destroyed, what did Abraham do? He interceded in behalf of Sodom. And so I believe this is what we as Christians should do. And I believe that the reason why Sodom was destroyed was not because of one behavior, right. one act per se. Sodom was destroyed when the mob or the group sought to invade the house of God's people and to force themselves upon God's people. And that's when their probation closed. Right, and another, uh, the Bible does tell us another, one of the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah is that they ignored the poor. And uh, um, and that's one thing that a lot of Christian evangelicals like to leave out. They focus on one pet sin, and they leave out a lot of others. But going back to Sodom and Gomorrah, you know what Christ said about um, about that? He says it might be better in the judgment for Sodom and Gomorrah than some of the cities that claim to be faithful to God. And I think those are very poignant and very uh, stern warnings to the Christian church of today. We kind of like to point out sins in other people. But when it comes to our own selves, we kind of ignore that we, we ourselves, we, we are we are very sinful and we have things that we need to clean up in our own house. And so before we can be really effective in bringing this good news to the world, how about we start here at home to the lost sheep of Israel, those of us who think we know God but actually don't have a, a, a connection with him, connection with the lawgiver, 
So every time we try and enact these laws that we think are good for the nation, we won't be effective. It'll never be effective because we don't have the Holy Spirit with us. And I think um, that's one thing that um, biggest concern I have of religious right. And we have all the reasons to support Christianity as a whole, um, the worldwide work of the gospel. Um, we have many things in common with evangelicals, but the problem lies within the method. And uh, if we're not careful, those methods would repel people from Christ instead of draw them. So what do you think should be a concern for Seventh-day Adventists with the Johnson Amendment repeal proposal? Ah, yes. And uh, I've had the opportunity to actually listen to both sides of the argument. And uh, there are those who, who say that it's a repeal is a good thing, uh, mainly because it allows free speech to churches. Uh, on the other side, it's, uh, it's concerning because it would make churches political vehicles uh, for particular agendas. Um, I tend to lean more towards the concerned party. And here's why. Because if churches are allowed to become political vehicles, then it's more likely for churches to take control of civil government and secular matters. Um, whereas if churches were not allowed to be involved in the, in the political process, uh, it's not to say that their speech is, is um, stomped out or curbed. It just means that, you know, if they decide to endorse political parties, endorse political candidates, they'll just have their uh, tax assumption taken away from them. No one's taking anyone to jail if the, if the Johnson Amendment's in place. Um, it's just that if they decide to be political parties or political um, vehicles, they have to be part of the process. They'll, they'll pay the same taxes as everyone else does who, who's involved in that so um, I see it concerning that uh, not necessarily for the repeal itself but that there's a call for its repeal because that means more and more churches want to be involved in the political process in a way that is concerning to those of us who understand prophecy do you think the religious right has the identifying marks of apostate Protestantism well I'm sure there are many who would disagree with me but um, I'd like to read something from the Spirit of Prophecy from a very well-known book among us, The Great Controversy, page 443. When the earthly church became corrupted by departing from the simplicity of the gospel and accepting heathen rites and customs, she lost the spirit and power of God. And in order to control the consciences of the people, she sought the support of the secular power. The result was the papacy, a church that controlled the power of the state and employed it to further her own ends, especially for the punishment of, quote, heresy. In order for the United States to form an image to the beast, the religious power must so control the civil government that the authority of the state will be employed by the church to accomplish her own ends, unquote. And I think that's lost upon many Adventists. Uh, because there's a lot of concerns that, oh, you know, it's the communists, it's the leftists, it's the liberals. 
who will stomp out religious liberty and stomp out the uh, God's people in the end. Uh, but that's not what prophecy is saying here, at least not to me. It's saying it's not the communists or the seculars that will control the civil government, but it is the what? The religious power. It doesn't say an irreligious power will control the government, but a religious one. Now, some will say, well, uh, apostate, uh, she says further up down there that she lost the spirit and power of God and accepted heathen rights and customs. So they're saying, well, that's the liberal aspect of it. Well, that may be so, but it is a hallmark of um, conservatism to try and protect tradition. But there are just some traditions that do not need protection. There's some traditions that commandments of men, as Christ called it, that we just need to do away with because we are not following God. We're following the commandments and traditions of men. So do you see the religious right seeking to bring a revival of Puritan mores and Puritan methods in society while we as Seventh Avenues are called to be the Roger Williams of our day? Right, exactly. And that's what um, we need to consider. We, we are of a movement that believe that we will perfect Christian characters before the second coming of Christ, leading up to a second coming. Uh, but the only way we can do that before anyone can get close to perfecting any Christian character of any sort is to acknowledge who Christ is and to have Christ live in our lives. So our work is not a civil crusade to establish laws to make the United States of America the kingdom of, of Christ on earth. And one more thing about that, Peter, is that when people say, oh, we need to curb out immorality in our land, and most North American Christians are not referring to the whole world. They're just referring to their country, like, in this case, America. Well, what about the other nations of the earth? What about um, the Philippines? What about Africa? What about uh, Asia? What about them? Why are we focusing so much on the laws of this land and not the rest of the world? We think that we are so um, special here and the United States of America that we forget that there is a there's a world out there that we need to reach. But the whole um, ironic thing about it is is that the vast majority of Seventh-day Adventists in the world are not in North America, but are all over the globe. And the vast majority of evil things going on is not just in the United States of America, but all over the world as well. So what, what are you supposed to do? Go into send a representative in each country of the world and ask them to to modify their laws and civil laws to to fit our view of how things should be? No, that's not what the Bible tells us to do. It tells us to go and make disciples. Make disciples of Christ. And uh, um, some will point to well, Romans chapter 14, says that uh, the, um, the powers that be, that God instituted governments uh, to quash evil, right? You've, you've heard of that before. Well, what government was in power when Paul wrote those words? It pagan, wasn't a... Pagan Rome. Pagan Rome, yeah. It wasn't a Christian power. God uses secular governments to, to conduct his will. And uh, 
just because a government is not Christian doesn't mean they're not doing the will of God in the, in the area of civil relations. Pagan Rome did as good a job as any at keeping order and society. Now, that didn't mean it made good Christians, because they certainly persecuted Christians, sent them to die in, in the Colosseum, and among other things. But they kept social and civil order, as they understood in that day. wasn't perfect, but God used them for that purpose. That's why I don't believe it's, it's a big burden on our part to try and Christianize this nation through secular means. We Christianize as many people as we can, not just the people of this nation, but Christianize everyone we come in contact to with, not through civil laws or force, but through the preaching of the gospel. In closing, what do you think we as Seventh Avenue should do in regards to religious liberty? Oh, we should cry aloud and spare not. We should, um, we should give the message of the third angel, of the upcoming image and mark of the beast, because it's not just the mark of the beast we need to be concerned about, it's also the image. The image is when secular government is controlled by the religious power. We know that prophecy tells us that. So we need to um, be watchmen in the walls of Zion. We need to cry aloud, spare not, and tell people about what is to come. Um, because it is an inevitability. It will happen. God's word is true. Now, does that mean we should be hostile to our evangelical brethren? Of course not. That, that's the more reason to go and share with them, to sit down with them and say, hey, you know, you and I have a passion of, for the gospel. But let me try and draw you away from trying to influence Capitol Hill. And why don't we influence people's hearts? And minds and you know you point out to the Bible where Jesus says my kingdom is not of this world and if it were my my servants would rise up and and rescue me from uh, from uh, this current judgment which is his incoming uh, crucifixion um, we also need to teach people about the separation of church and state about the different spheres between God's sphere and, and the sphere of uh, Caesar Render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's, and render to God that which is God's. And once we give them that realization, I think they'll be on board with uh, giving the gospel to the world. And when it comes to people who are not of our faith, we can go out to, to them and say, hey, we're not out to persecute you. We're not out to establish laws to put you in jail for your particular beliefs. And I think that is the reason why we can have a sincere conversation with each other about the soon coming of Christ. And I think that opens up instead of closes more minds. Thank you so much for sharing. It's a great blessing. Well, thanks for having me, Peter. Oh, it's a great honor on our part. Uh, in closing, uh, can you say a closing word of prayer for us? Oh, absolutely. Certainly. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for the blessing of life. Not just this life, but life eternal through your Son, Jesus Christ. We see the things around us, Lord, uh, concerning evil. But we ask you, Lord, that you curb our temptation to fight evil with evil, to fight worldliness with worldliness, but to instead face it with the sword of the Spirit, with your word. Lord, we ask that uh, you be in each one of us through your Son, Jesus Christ, 
and through the third person of Godhead is the Holy Spirit. May he continue to lead us in the way of righteousness that we may be able to live according to your will, Lord. Forgive us for our many sins, Lord. We are unworthy, but we count ourselves worthy through your Son, Jesus Christ, who died and bled that we may be called sons and daughters of God. We thank you, Lord, for this opportunity. Please bless Peter here in his ministry. May you continue to be with him and be with those that, he, that this ministry has touched. And may we all continue to work hard so that we can see your soon coming in our lifetime. We pray these things in the loving name of Christ. Amen.